Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Rediscover our fascinating city this summer on a walking tour from the Chicago Architecture Center, now open and adhering to public health safety standards. Our entertaining and expertly trained docents will guide you through the Chicago you've been longing to explore. From magnificent downtown architecture to awe-inspiring neighborhood gems. If it's worth seeing, we'll take you there. Get tickets at architecture.org forward slash tours. The stories of the city begin at the CAC. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Friday, August 7th is just moments away. But before we do this, we got to thank the following unions for sponsoring this podcast. Unions like the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. That's correct. The International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. That's correct. And our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hey, everybody. Let me tell you about voting by mail. It's pretty cool. Voting by mail ensures equitable access for everyone. Normally, vote-by-mail applications are filled out online or in person. This creates a burden for people with limited access to transportation or internet services. Disproportionately, the elderly or people of color who are among those at greatest risk from COVID-19. Because of the pandemic, a law was passed in Illinois for November requiring vote-by-mail applications be sent to anyone who voted in 2018, 2019, or the 2020 primary. This falls short of what is needed particularly since these elections saw low turnout. We need to expand access. Mail-in voting is the best way to ensure everyone's voice can be heard safely. We can help expand voting access in Chicagoland by asking officials to send every eligible voter a vote-by-mail application. So visit VoteMailChicago.com. That's VoteMailChicago.com dot com for call scripts and a petition one more time vote v-o-t-e mail m-a-i-l chicago c-h-i-c-a-g-o dot com to make sure that every voter in cook county has safe and equitable polling that's correct play the radio make sure the television excuse me make sure you have the record player on at night the the, the phone make sure the kids hear words are you familiar with the police by the police the song is titled roxanne oh i know roxanne roxanne you don't need to put on a red light gg eddie murphy sang wasn't that a song that eddie murphy sang in one of his movies that's how i know it roxanne (laughs) yeah red light now i'm just like you know how rock stars back then would trash the the Who would trash their instruments. That's what I'm doing. Rocks and I just smash my guitar. The Who? 
Uh, another bad joke. joke. Yeah, I know. Come on, man. You're better than that. <laughs> the Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Friday, August 7th, and live from my apartment and Ben's attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, yeah, Ben will probably talk tiffs again, and it's another Ramana Rundown with Chicago Sun-Times editor, Ramana Hussein. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Yeah, hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Lucky Biden Friday. And here's why. The luckiest man in politics today, Joe Biden, of course. The second luckiest man in politics today, Donald John Trump. Before all is said and done, they may flip places. Let me take it point by point. Why is Joe Biden so lucky, you ask? The answer, because his opponent is Donald Trump. Donald Trump just may be the most reviled man in America, at least by half of the voters, 50% of the voters. If half the voters in the electorate despise you, you're not going to win under normal circumstances. But these are not normal circumstances. We'll get to that later. Thus, Joe Biden can just sit in his basement all day and say nothing and still win the election. Just let Trump self-destruct. That's all Joe Biden has to do. The problem is that every now and then, Joe Biden feels compelled to emerge from his basement just to remind people that he exists. And that's a problem. Because once Joe Biden starts talking, you never know what he's going to say. And here I will do my Dave Glowatz imitation. Dennis. (laughs) I'm impressed already. Wait, wait, should should I do Dave Glowatz when he comes on to talk city council? Jamie from Joe Rogan. Which one would you prefer? Well, you set it up as Dave Glowatz, so let's roll with that. Dennis, play Biden cognitive test. Mr. Vice President, your opponent in this election, President Trump, has made your mental state a campaign topic. And when asked in June if you'd been tested um, for cognitive decline, you've responded that you're constantly tested in, in, in effect because you're in situations like this on the campaign trail. But please clarify specifically, have you taken a cognitive no, test? No, I haven't taken the test. <laughs> Why the hell would I take a test? Come on, man. That's like saying you, before you got in this program, you take a test where you're taking cocaine or not. What do you think, huh? Are, are you a junkie? What do you say to President Trump, who brags about his test and makes your mental state an issue for voters? Well, if he can't figure out the difference between an elephant and a lion, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. Huh? Did you watch that? Look, come on, man. I, I, I know you're trying to goad me, but I mean, uh, I'm so forward looking to have an opportunity to sit with the president or stand with the president huh? in debates. There's going to be plenty of time. Uh, and by the way, as I joke with him, you know, 
I, I shouldn't say it. I'm going to say something I don't. I, I probably shouldn't say. Anyway, I am. Uh, I am very willing to let the American public judge my physical, and mental, fil- my physical as well as my mental fil- fitness, huh? and uh, to uh, <laughs> you know to make a judgment about who I am. All right, uh, that Joe. That's Joe Biden. More or less coherent. The thing about the man just cracks me up every time I say it because I say man. I think it's a generation. Like, Come on, man. But I'm not running for president. I'm just a guy in an attic. Come on, man. And well, he's a guy in a basement. <laughs> that's, the, that's the whole point. Stay in the basement. Come on, man. Okay, you know, he's got my vote, D, already. All right. That's just one example of Joe Biden sort of slipping and sliding when he starts talking. Don't know what's going to come out. And at least he policed himself. There, he realized he was about to say something he shouldn't say, or maybe he was th- realized he didn't know what he was going to say and didn't want to start a sentence he didn't know how to finish. I don't know what was going on there, but at least he stopped, pulled up, and he's you know, good decision, Joe Biden. All right, Dennis, uh, Dennis, play Biden black and Hispanic. Is Mr. Bike in there with you? <laughs> Is that Dave Kloatz? What's up, Dave? What you all know, but most people don't know. Unlike the African-American community, with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community with incredibly different attitudes about different things. You go to Florida, you find a very different attitude about immigration in certain places than you do when you're in Arizona. So it's a very different, a very diverse community. All right. (laughs) Whenever Joe starts talking uh, about black voters, that's the his. The group of voters in the Democratic primary that he owes his nomination to are by and large black voters. But he has a way of just like insulting the black electorate every time he opens his mouth. This is the second time. Just don't talk about race ever. Don't say anything about it at all. Right, Joe? I pretty much believe that Joe should just stick to the basement. Just stay in the basement. Don't say anything. And at this point, I must say. What a candidate. (laughs) <laughs> hey d vote blue no matter who now shut up and go vote democrat all right now look here's the deal one more time for the record joe biden was not the candidate i endorsed that i wanted to win the democratic primary i have to make that clear my first choice as everybody knows who listens to the show was bernie sanders my second choice as everybody knows who listens to the show was elizabeth warren i think there were like three other people before i got to joe Biden. there may have been four or five i don't know i can't remember oh you're so wishy-washy one week it was you joe biden was low the next thing um you know what man i like joe biden then you go oh man elizabeth warren then you're back on joe biden uh remember when cory booker had his moment. Who? This is after <laughs> Cory Booker after he dropped out of the race. Remember, you know, D, I kind of like Cory Booker since he dropped out of the race. Well, shout out to Leah. She was for Cory Booker long before it was fashionable. Anyway, so as you can tell, Joe Biden uh, was not my uh, first choice. You know, once again, I live in lefty land, uh, far outside the boundaries of most other Democrats. Uh, and <laughs> so, you know, I was hoping for a candidate who could be forceful and passionate about what he or she believed in, uh, generally progressive 
values and very specific programs, had a, a strong, it could articulate a certain vision that he or she wanted to take the country. Uh, but, you know, my candidates lost. Oh, and then remember so there was we, the time you were into Andrew Yang because he didn't wear a tie? Yeah. <laughs> I like Andrew. I still kind of like Andrew Yang. All right. He's still, I would still, would I take Andrew Yang over Joe Biden? Yes. Okay. All right. But Andrew Yang, I don't know if he survived New Hampshire. I think he made it to New Hampshire and quit after that. Anyway, point is I lost. So now, yes, I will vote for Joe Biden. That's how much uh, I dislike uh, Donald Trump and his reign. I would probably vote for absolutely any one of those Democrats who was on the stage uh, debating last summer. So, yes, that's who I am. That's where I come from. But, you know, it doesn't mean I have to appreciate Joe Biden. It doesn't mean I have to, like wave the flag for Joe Biden, overlook every time he stumbles and every time he says something really bad, like, oh, Dennis, play record Play the radio. Make sure the television, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The the, the phone, make sure the kids hear words. I, I know we play that a lot, folks, but I, that, that just kind of sums it all up. Anyway, like I said, it doesn't really matter. Uh, Joe Biden will emerge from his basement, say something ridiculous, cause a lot of attention, apologize on Twitter, and then he'll go back into his basement. And by the time uh, he has gone back to this basement, everyone will have forgotten the dumb thing Joe Biden says because Donald Trump will have said, I don't know, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, really revolting offensive things. Like, Dennis, play Trump on John Lewis. He didn't come to my inauguration. He didn't come to my State of the Union speeches. And that's okay. That's his right. Again, nobody has done more right. for but, but black to, Americans than I have. I understand. He should have come. But back, I think he made a big mistake. But, but, take, but taking your relationship with him out of it, do you find his story impressive, what he's done for this country? He was a person that devoted a lot of energy and a lot of heart to civil rights but there were many others also. Nobody has done more for black Americans than I have. That's Donald Trump talking there, folks. So that's why I'm saying Joe Biden can stay in the basement from now until November and still, in my humble opinion, get a majority or at least a plurality. I'm oh, hey, Biden! Of voters. But that brings me to why Donald Trump is so lucky. As we all know, Winning a majority doesn't mean you win the election. We have that insane electoral college. I know I talk about it all the time. It's a source of great disappointment to me that the Democrats have not made this an issue uh, since it's now twice in the last 20 years they've lost uh, the uh, White House because of the electoral college. There's an excellent op-ed piece, which I'll be talking about a lot uh, in the weeks coming in today's New York Times by a political scientist named Alexander Kisar. How has the electoral college survived? Uh, Kisar goes through the history of the Electoral College and basically points out what I've said all along too, what everybody knows. It was devised by slave owners to give the South the dominance over the North uh, in Congress, in the White House, so that they continue slavery. It was a system set up to to preserve slavery. Why we still cling to it 
in the year 2020? I do not know, mainly because it benefits the Republicans. So they have no reason to change it. And the Democrats are too unfocused or too scared or they don't look far enough. But whatever, they're not challenging it. So that's why Trump is the luckiest man. He's got a lock on well over half the Electoral College votes. No matter what he says, no matter what he does, uh, no matter what who he insults or offends, to win, Joe Biden is going to have to beat Trump in a handful of states like Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania and Maine and Florida and North Carolina and Georgia and Nevada. And I suspect that Donald Trump is a lot more popular in those states than the polls are showing. I suspect that Dennis's theory is absolutely true, which he has been articulating for well over a year, and that is when it comes to Donald Trump, many white voters lie. They're too embarrassed to admit they're going to vote for him, and so they say they're not. And that's why this election is really close, even though I believe there is no way, no matter what stupid things Joe Biden says, no matter how much he trips over his tongue, there is no way Donald Trump's going to get a majority of votes. But he still could be elected president of the United States, and that's why I say He may be the luckiest man in America, and we may be the unlucky ones. We got a great show today, everybody. Ramana Hussein will be here. We got plenty of Biden talk with Ramana. She's all fired up to talk about that. Also, Bill Clinton. She's going to weigh in on my Bill Clinton column, Dave. Uh, that I wrote for the reader this year. Cut the cord. Tired. Cut the cord, Damson. Bill Clinton. I went off on a. Who was I talking to yesterday, D? Oh, my goodness. Um, uh, Leonard Goodman, we we had a great conversation yesterday. We were talking about Jeffrey Epstein, and uh, of course, uh, Bill Clinton came up, and uh, I went on my uh, one of my tangents about Bill Clinton. That will drop tomorrow, correct, D? The Leonard Goodman interview that we did? Yes, sir. Yes, very good. So anyway, uh, Ramana Hussein will be his show in a little while, but before we do that, the young man from Alton, man, they call the doctor with the news. Hey, guys, what's going on? Uh, I got to say, this comment way worse than that Trump John Lewis. What you all know, but most people don't know, unlike the African-American community, with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community. Guys, that's bad. Don't talk. Go back to the basement. Don't talk. OK, unlike why? Why? The, why do you feel compelled to even bring in the African? You know what I mean? Like you're talking about the Hispanic community. OK, why are you bringing in black people? Why didn't he say? Can you imagine him in a million? Unlike the white community, you know, they bring in black people. What what do they got to do with anything? I'm just in this particular moment, in this context, you know, like, you know what I'm saying, Dave? Yeah. Why need Why need talk about people from Southern Illinois? Unlike people from Southern Illinois, unlike people from Alton, unlike graduates of Evanston Township High School, you know what I mean? But no, right. Let's go just defend your base, okay? <laughs> In fact, I got a new theory, a new theory. I think people are going to be embarrassed just the same as 2016 on the left to vote for Joe Biden. Yeah, but I think they'll admit it. Mm. That's the difference between a... Uh, I'm gonna, here I am analyzing your theories. These are your freaking theories. <laughs> I give you credit for it because your, your Trump theory is, is absolutely right on 
And you know, it's funny how so many people will agree with it off mic, but they won't say it on the mic. <laughs> the polls show, but off mic, they go, I think the kid may be on to something. The difference is, is that most lefties I know, and I know a ton of lefties, will moan and groan about voting for Joe Biden, but will say, I'm voting for him because I despise Trump. Whereas your theory is, they'll say, oh, I'm really offended by Donald Trump. I am going to vote for Joe Biden. And then once they're in that polling booth or their kitchen table, I guess they'll be doing it by mail this time, they vote for Trump. So I am now annotating the Dr. D theory of voting. Should write a whole book, D. Never. All right. Before we find out what's happening in Chicago and/or Illinois this afternoon, we need to shamelessly plug this weekend's Benny J. Bonus interviews and remind all of you to download them. Yes, every Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, a brand new one-on-one Ben Jarofsky interview for all of you to download. Ben just mentioned our Saturday interview. Attorney Leonard Goodman returned to talk all things Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, ben, give everybody a little preview again here of uh, what you guys talked about. Well, uh, Leonard Goodman, of course, uh, he's a criminal defense lawyer. He was Bogoyevich's criminal defense lawyer. He's a leftist. He writes uh, for the reader, my beloved reader. And he wrote an essay about, mm, about two weeks ago, uh, about, uh, uh, the latest uh, twist and turn in Jeffrey Epstein's uh, legal saga uh, with Maxwell being uh, incarcerated. And uh, so we just took the opportunity to uh, go back through the history of Jeffrey Epstein and uh, Leonard lays out his theory. Uh, He may even be more cynical than I am, if such a thing is possible, uh, that his theory, it's a theory uh, that Jeffrey Epstein is in fact uh, an operative for U.S. intelligence And so as a result, there's no way, absolutely no way uh, the feds will allow this case to go to trial because there's too many secrets that can be revealed. And so they're either going to have a a plea bargain, a plea deal uh, with Maxwell or I don't know. He has a bunch of other theories. So a deep dive uh, into who Jeffrey Epstein was, who he was working with uh, and um, what it means for the upcoming trial. Uh, and then, of course, uh, side, we went, we had a discussion about Clinton's connection to Epstein and Trump's connection to Epstein. And that's where I went, <laughs> I went off on Bill Clinton. So it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun talking to Le- Leonard's uh, more, if such a thing is possible, Leonard's to the left of me. How about that, D? Leonard is to the left of me. You know, we bring on people left of me, Sam Holloway, my dear friend. Got to bring him back. Green Party guy uh, is uh, to the left of me. But most people are more to the center if they disagree with me in this show. All right. Once again, attorney Leonard Goodman. It's going to be available tomorrow morning by 5 a.m. On to our Sunday Benny J bonus interview that you can download at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Another return. Joshua Smizer de Leon, the host of the Paseo podcast. Ben Jarofsky, what did you guys talk about? Well, actually, it's very uh, timely because in in light of uh, Joe Biden's comments about the Hispanic community, uh, Joshua Smizer de Leon and I, we talked a lot about the different voting constituencies in the Latinx community uh, and the different appeals uh, that politicians make to try to win them over uh, the Puerto Rican community, the Cuban community, uh, the Mexican-American community. We talk a lot about the Goya boycott and how Donald Trump is trying to uh, to 
use the Goya boycott that many leftists uh, are following as a way to rally support for himself. And so, uh, yeah, it's kind of we didn't realize this when we sat down to do the interview. But uh, it connects to what Joe Biden said yesterday. All right. And that's Sunday. Once again, available by 5 a.m. And finally, on Monday, Ben's former sidekick, First Tuesday co-host, Mick Dumkey of ProPublica Returns. He just put something out recently. Uh, ben, tell everybody about that. Yeah, Mick Dumkey, uh, probably more than any other journalist uh, in Chicago, I'd say for the last 20 years, has consistently looked uh, at criminal justice issues. I shouldn't say more than any, but as, as much as any other journalist, because there's a lot of outstanding journalists. Anyway, uh, consistently looked at criminal justice matters, policing in particular, and, uh, you know, the tactics that Chicago police employ to try to bring down crime, the tactics that Chicago mayors endorse, the tactics that uh, the re, uh, by and large Republican uh, presidents and attorney generals uh, encourage. Uh, Mick takes a deep dive on the whole issue of being tough and uh, law and order type and what impact, if any, that has on crime in Chicago. Uh, he's been studying this for many years, and as you might suspect, it really hasn't helped uh, reduce crime in, in Chicago. And then, of course, got McDumkey and myself. Quick tangent, we closed the show down with a deep dive into local politics, and we gave him a quiz. Remember that, Dave? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Don't reveal the quiz or how he did. So those are our Benny J. Bonus interviews. Leonard Goodman, Joshua Smizer de Leon, and Mick Dumkey available at both Chicago Sun Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast download only live streamers and YouTube watchers go download them and help out the program so there's that uh, let's see here one more thing Ben we received a voicemail say what it's true <laughs> we did Someone called our phone number. Yes, all that hawking of the phone number is paying off, bud. Uh, let's see here. It's from a gentleman who has become a good friend of the program in the last few months. It's our Ben Jarofsky show music producer. That's right. Michael Girardi. You know uh, Michael Girardi, the composer of such hits as The Editorial Board, Tax Increment Financing, very Ben Jarofsky show specific songs here, uh, A New Low, and so many others. Uh, Michael Girardi, like I said, left us a voicemail. Uh, now, Ben, I listened to it. He's kind of giving you a hard time, but remember, he made all those songs for us, so please just be nice, okay? No, I will say nothing but nice things, no matter what he says. All right, let's hear uh, Michael Girardi. Way, I have not heard this at all. This is totally without a net. Go. Here we go. Hey, guys, it's Mike Girardi. So I was thinking, Ben talks about how Mike Royko is his hero. And he says that Royko did this thing where he would talk to the readers and he would say, you idiots. <laughs> all of this is all your fault. You accept all this corruption. You vote for these same people. And you have nobody to blame but yourselves. Yeah. And I hate you. So, also, Ben does this thing where he talks about Chicago voters. And I realize, I think that Ben is doing the same thing that Royco did to us. So I'm convinced that one of these days... Ben is going to start the show like this, and it's going to be a Tuesday. He's going to say, hello, everybody. It's Ben Jarofsky here, and we're calling this 
<laughs> Chicago voters are stupid idiots, and I hate you. Every single one of you, and that includes all of you, my listeners, because you're all stupid and you don't know how to vote, and you're all idiots, and I hate you. Tuesday. And here's why. Great weekend, D. You have a good weekend? And you're going to be like, uh, no. Oh, my Maybe goodness. I'm That's funny. <laughs> Hope I'm wrong. Take care. Uh, oh, God, that's hilarious. Now remember, he made funny. all of those songs for us, okay? Oh, Lord. He's, he, you know what? He, he's right on. First of all, it's a great parody. I got to give him a lot of credit. Uh, and, uh, yeah, man, to quote Joe Biden, man, <laughs> Michael, what can I say? I struggle with this. Okay, maybe I'm going to use you as my therapist. All right, Michael, I struggle with this. I've been at this game for 40 years. I was just talking to my wife about this. I've been writing columns for the reader and uh, covering, well, writing columns for the reader since about the mid-80s, so not exactly 40. Anyway, the point is in a long time. And sometimes, Michael, I feel like I'm banging my head against the wall. So there's two ways of looking at it. I could say, you know what? I'm not an effective writer. I'm not doing a good job. I'm not communicating. Or I can go the other route and blame you, the voters. You bleeping morons. You freaking idiots. Please keep downloading our show. (laughs) Thanks for downloading them. But you're right. You're right. Michael, I I can't argue with you. You're right. I got this thing about Chicagoans. I don't understand Chicagoans. I struggle with it. Every day I wake up. Like, can I just say, share this with you? You know, I, I got to share this with you, Michael. This is my struggle with Chicagoans. So yesterday, the city, uh, a couple of days ago, Lori Life had announced the schools uh, were going, she was going to close the schools down. And immediately, a lot of Chicagoans, particularly from the mainstream quarters, were denouncing the teachers union. You know, and they were outraged uh, that... Kids would be going without school. And they were saying, like, poor kids cannot afford to miss a day of school because they'll slide further and further behind their wealthier peers. And I completely agree with that point. Absolutely. But I'm like, why do they only raise that point when... They want to use it against the teachers for taking whatever stand they're taking for the teachers union. Like, so when the teachers want to strike because they wanted more nurses, the kids are going to miss school. You can't miss school. Nurses aren't that important. And when the, the teachers say, we don't want to go back to work under these conditions, it's like the kids are going to miss school. They're going to fall further behind. I got news for you guys. This condition of inequity in the city of Chicago It exists during a pandemic, before a pandemic, after a pandemic. If you want to eradicate the inequities that exist so that poor kids don't compete like wealthier kids, you can do it any time. You don't need to uh, advocate it just when you want to punish teachers for taking a stand about protecting themselves. So, Michael, see, when I deal with that, how am I supposed to deal with that? Like you got this TIF program. 
It's supposed to help the poorest of the poor, but it helps the richest of the rich. And it takes money from the schools to do that. How am I supposed to deal? Everybody goes, we want to deal with the inequities. We must deal with these inequities. The kids are falling further and further behind. Okay. I keep pointing out to you where the money is. I keep pointing out to you that you're spending all the money in wealthy neighborhoods as opposed to poor neighborhoods. I keep pointing out to you that you're taking money from the schools to do it. They, you know, just don't pay attention. So I don't know what I'm going to do, Michael. So I have two choices as I see it. One, blame myself for not being a more forceful, articulate advocate for the causes I believe in. Or two, blame everyone else for being stupid. I'm going with option B. Ah, you bleeping moron. Thank you for watching the language. <laughs> Livestream chat. Who had 30 minutes? 30 minutes until Ben started talking about tips. Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> Oh, man. I'm just warming up. I'm just warming up, D. Mm. All right. I have so to tell you, D. What? Tommy Tresser. As long as we're teasing about interviews, Mr. Uh, also, Mr. Tiff will be uh, will be I'll be interviewing Tommy uh, today at uh, about, oh, uh, gosh, five o'clock or so. And uh, that'll drop next week. So just a more, more Tiff talk in the Ben Jarofsky show. Oh, I think I uh, know Michael Girardi's next voicemail. He's on the live stream chat uh, right now. And he says, are Chicagoans really just white Northsiders? <laughs> call us up, Michael, again. And you can call us up as well. 708-658-4788. That number again, 708-658-4788. Leave a voicemail to the Ben Jarofsky show and we will play it. Shout out to Mike Girardi. You're the man. All right, let's find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. And today we begin with the governor. Today, our Illinois governor gave an early morning COVID-19 press briefing. With the continued spread of the coronavirus in Illinois, it seems as though that we have straight away from Governor Pritzker's initial five-phase strategy to safely reopen Illinois. Let's begin with phase one. Quit playing, JB. We're not going back to phase one, dude. We were in the beginning of stages of uh, phase four. Now we can say we're in, uh, I don't know, three and a half. But, uh, you know, after what Pritzker announced at this morning's press briefings, we may end up back to phase one before we know it. With the downstate towns and counties now seeing more positive test results than Chicago, the governor announced this morning that the Illinois Department of Public Health will begin to file emergency rules for businesses, schools, and child care establishments regarding the use of of masks. Face coverings. Okay, or um, face coverings. Sorry, JB. Uh, and the size of gatherings. The following comes from, well, the meanest Illinois political bulldog in the yard, Capital Facts' own Rich Miller. Seriously, guys, if you're looking for a good source of statewide news, Capital Facts, F-A-X, like a fax machine. Go check it out. Rich Miller's the man. The governor has also signed SB 471 to help protect workers who continue to serve on the front lines of the fight against COVID-19. Here's the quote from the governor. Uh, Pritzker this morning said, quote, as I've visited with and listened to mayors and health departments all across our state, it's clear there is still an even greater need to get people to wear masks, especially to protect frontline workers, whether they're at the front of a store, asking 
asking you to put on your mask or whether they're responding to 911 calls to save those in distress. These rules, which provide multiple opportunities for compliance before any penalty is issued, are a common sense way to enforce public health guidelines. Illinois has made substantial progress in our fight against COVID-19 because the vast majority of communities and business owners have done the right thing. These rules will help ensure that the minority of people who refuse to act responsibly won't take our state backward. Pritzker then threw, uh, threw it to his right-hand woe man, Illinois Department of Health Director Dr. Azike. Dr. Azike said, quote, we know that face coverings are key to helping prevent the spread of COVID-19, but it only works if, in, if everyone wears them. Uh, said This is from Azike. She continued saying, we are seeing cases increasing each day and hearing about people not complying with the masking mandate. This rule is an effort to help keep all of us healthy and decrease the risk of contracting COVID-19. So let's cover the new COVID-19 emergency rules. And listeners, if you listen closely, you can hear hundreds, hundreds of downstaters <laughs> putting up their Pritzker sucks yard signs yeah. in their yeah. yard. Yeah. Once again, these are emergency rules for businesses, schools, and childcare establishments regarding the use of face coverings and the size of gatherings. These rules provide multiple opportunities for compliance before any penalty is issued, giving local health departments and local law enforcement more leeway to support community public health in a productive manner. While existing pre-pandemic enforcement laws like revoking a license are stringent and severe. These rules provide flexibility for local communities and a measured process to help keep people safe. That process is as follows. First, Businesses will be given a warning in the form of written notice and encouraged to voluntarily comply with public health guidance. That's first. Second, all right, the gloves are starting to come off slowly here. Businesses that do not voluntary, voluntarily comply will be given an order to have some or all their patrons leave the premises as needed to comply with public health guidance and reduce risks. Third, the gloves are completely off. Yeah. If the yeah. business continues to refuse to comply, the business can receive a Class A misdemeanor and be subject to a fine ranging from $75 to $2,500. Mm. We called this. We called this a few days ago, Ben. Mm -hmm. These rules do not apply to individuals and penalties uh, will not exceed a misdemeanor and a $75 to $2,500 fine. The emergency rules also reinforce the authority of the Illinois Department of Health and local health departments to investigate COVID-19 cases and reaffirm that businesses have a responsibility to cooperate with those investigations. Ben Jarofsky, your thoughts. Well, you summed it up, D. The signs are coming out on the uh, Southern Illinois. They're already cl uh, cluttering all the uh, lawns uh, in Alton, Illinois right now. Pritzker sucks. Listen, $2,500 fine. D, just imagine if they try to enforce this uh, in areas that are not already abiding by it. You talked about when you went down uh, to visit uh, your family in Alton a couple of weeks ago, how you went into a gas station and one day people were wearing masks and the next day they weren't wearing masks. Just imagine 
if the state sent in agents to ticket people. I don't even know if local police would enforce it. You know, we've seen the situations throughout the country where local police have said they're not going to enforce mandates about wearing masks. Uh, this, our country right now, we're at a point, D, I don't believe there's any way uh, that we are going to successfully uh, get out from uh, the this pandemic until we have a vaccine. I just don't see it happening. I see it alive in the debate, whether you open schools or don't open schools. I see it like the inconsistencies in Chicago where, you know, the restaurants on the beach are, are open, but the beaches are closed. There's inconsistency. There's mixed message. There's people have politicized the issue. Uh, I I just feel as though if the state sends in uh, troopers or uh, ticket writers. I don't know who would be the one who would write the ticket. Uh, there would be a bit of an uprising. Well, there's already an uprising. Darren Bailey is lead, leading it. The Republican Party uh, that's that has positioned it itself as a party that's against masks, at least in uh, southern Illinois. So, D, I think this is going to uh, work against J.B. Pritzker. And look, I know he's frustrated. He's trying to look out for the best interests of the state. I understand that. But the reality is, political, this, is a view, this will be viewed as uh, too much a power grab by J.B. Pritzker. This will be viewed as the state stepping in and taking away, pe- taking away people's liberty. Uh, wasn't it just yesterday that we were talking about how Darren Bailey uh, and the judge uh, McKinney in uh, Clay County yep. were talking about want to put Pritzker in jail? Mm-hmm. That's where we're at, people. Darren Bailey and Judge McKinney want to put Pritzker in jail for overextending his authority. Uh, they call him a tyrant. Pritzker's responded by saying, I'm going to find people, uh, businesses who uh, don't enforce the mask wearing rule. I just feel like we're uh, inflaming already uh, a raw subject here in the state of Illinois. And I, listen, I'm very sympathetic to Pritzker uh, trying to protect the state, but I just don't think this will work. D. I don't, th- I don't think people downstate, even with the threat of the fine, will start uh, voluntarily putting the masks on. I don't know what it's going to take to get people to put the masks on. You get the governor of Oklahoma. He had COVID. He, he, even then, he said, uh, "I'm not going to wear a mask. I don't believe in masks." So, you know, there's a defiance that uh, that defies all logic. Just a response to Herman Cain's death is bizarre. We were talking about this last week. You know, Herman Cain died, uh, and um, he he was defiant. He was just like all the other Republicans. He wasn't going to wear a mask. He showed up in Tulsa for Donald Trump's uh, rally. Uh, he was pictured with several of his friends, no masks. A couple of weeks later, it comes out that he has the virus, and then last week he died. And the response of Republicans is, you can't blame that on Trump. You can't blame that on that rally. You can't turn this into a political issue. So instead of like, you know, being angry at the officials who allow people to walk around without masks in arenas, they're mad at Democrats who are pointing out how Herman Cain's death reveals, you know, how uh, poor of a job the Republican Party has done to protect the people. So, D. Like I said, 
vaccination is about the only thing I think that can save our country when it comes to the pandemic. Well, I know we were talking uh, before the show and you were mentioning how, uh, you know, people, you know, who don't wear their seatbelts, although there's a fine and people who don't wear helmets, although Mm. there's a fine. Neil uh, Steinberg, got to give him credit. Yes. Thank you, D, for reminding me that. Uh, Neil Steinberg wrote a really good column in today's Sun-Times. Men have long shunned protective gear. Uh, and he talks about the aversion that men have to helmets and seatbelts, et cetera. And, D, I see this all the time. Like, so uh, men won't wear bike helmets. Remember when uh, Fox was criticizing Barack Obama because he wore a helmet? It was like 2014 when he was president. They said he was unmanly. Uh, I used to have friends, and I will not name their names because I love them dearly. They wouldn't put their seatbelt on. I'm like, hey, man, could you put the seatbelt on? The, the cars, man, I hate this sound, this buzzing sound. And they go, well, it'll go off eventually. I go, why, do we, <laughs> why don't you put the seatbelt? Ah, bleep it. Notice how I don't swear, D? Thank you. Bleep it. Thank you. We don't need, come on, man. Nothing's going to happen. I go, well, if it does, your head's going through that window. So please put the seatbelt on. I don't know what it is. It's like this macho thing. So like a mask. Make, it makes him feel unmanly. I don't know. Crazy stuff. Uh, good good column by Neil Steinberg uh, pointing out how illogical uh, people can be. I think it's uh, three words. Damn the man, right? <laughs> yeah, man. How do you feel about bicycle helmets? Uh, when I go downtown, I make sure to wear a helmet. When I'm, you know, kind of cruising around on safe trails, I take it off. Yeah. I'm being honest, guys. Oh, I know you're being honest. Yeah. <laughs> you're being honest, but kind of proving my point. Anyway, I, uh, it's, it's just a, I, you know what, Deep, but who am I to talk? I can't stand the freaking masks. When I'm walking down the street, no one's around. I don't have a mask on, but I always have that mask in my hand, ladies and gentlemen. Put it over whenever I see anybody. <laughs> I'm that weird guy with the mask in his hand. Oh, you can take with the mask in his hand out of that. You're just a, <laughs> a weird guy. All right. And, uh, Shout Wait, out. Can we give some love to Girardi for a pretty good parody? I was just thinking about that. Yeah. Parody <laughs> you know, of you. His oppression, his oppression of me sucked. All right. I'm just going to say it right now. Habita, habita, habita. Come on. <laughs> you have a good weekend, Dave. <laughs> All right. Shout out to Radio Doogie. Uh, he okay. has a little theory here. He says everybody's going to move to Indiana or Wisconsin. You mean everybody from Southern Illinois? <laughs> okay. Well, that's the. That's the Republicans' attitude uh, right there. That, uh, yeah, all these rules, all these taxes, people are going to move to Wisconsin uh, and Indiana. He says he sees a lot of homes for sale. Yeah, well, we'll see. We shall see. If that's what's going to push people out of the state, uh, Governor Pritzker trying to force them to wear a mask. Well, the place to go is Indiana. I don't think they have mask rules in the state of Indiana. Do they, D? I I'm not quite sure. We remember had that discussion a while ago. I have to look into that. All right. So that is the statewide news. Let's talk the news of the day in the city of Chicago. We've said it's time to bring in the light. And it's sure shining on all of us tonight. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. <laughs> 
Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Today, Mayor Lakefront was at the Oak Park Regional Housing Center at 11 a.m. to unveil a rental assistance program for suburban Cook County residents experiencing financial insecurity due to the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm going to try to find details on that plan, and we'll try to discuss that before we head out for the day. In the meantime, Ben, it's your lucky day. More media outlets are talking about tax increment financing, a.k.a. tips. And as we all know, our host can talk literally for hours about this. And Ben, I actually have a few things to do. I have a few emails to send out. Okay. So like while I do that, Ben, you yeah. dive in on that very unhealthy habit of yours. I'll stop you after about five minutes. All right, go. Uh, as uh, everybody knows, this has been a passion of mine uh, for a long, long time. The TIF program is uh, intended to help the poorest neighborhoods spark development that would uh, not otherwise happen without a subsidy from the government. That's the intention of the program because the program is flawed. Every neighborhood in the city, pretty much every neighborhood in the state is eligible for a TIF. I think, what was the Kenilworth, North Suburban Kenilworth was going to have a TIF, TIF district. And North uh, Suburban Kenilworth is one of the wealthiest uh, towns in America. So there is no oversight uh, to this program in terms of making sure that it is helping the poorest of the poor. Uh, in fact, the, the gaping loopholes make sure that the wealthiest neighborhoods will be uh, the biggest benefactors because there's a flaw in the way the program is set up. And I'm always a little hesitant D, to explain what the flaw is because there you go into the deep dive of TIFs. And there is perhaps the, the, the program's greatest, greatest strength because it's a complicated program, uh, because it's convoluted in terms of how it works. Once you start describing how the program works, Everybody turns off. People stop listening. They don't want to know. It's complicated. It's convoluted. And also it has to deal with property taxes. And this is something else we've talked about a lot. Uh, renters don't pay property taxes. The property taxes are obviously added to the rents. They pay a higher rent and property taxes go up, but they don't see it. I've talked about TIFs to groups throughout the city. And I usually ask a question when I start off, who here owns property? And maybe, I don't know, a quarter of the audience, people raise their hand, the rest don't own property, they're renters. Who here then has ever seen a property tax bill? And those renters' hands never go up. So if you don't pay a property tax, uh, you're not, you don't realize the impact that TIFs have uh, on the amount you pay in rent. I'll go one step further. If you do pay a property tax, more often than not, you don't realize the impact TIFs have because they're not itemized uh, on the property tax bill. So it is a program because of the flaws, uh, because of the lack of transparency, that's perfectly set up for a city like Chicago where you have a powerful mayor uh, whose control is perpetrated by not having any oversight. So millions and millions of dollars flow into bank accounts that the mayor largely controls. She's free to spend them as she wants. It's a slush fund. Uh, it's been a slush fund since the 90s when Mayor Daley figured out uh, how to take advantage of the loopholes to have more money flow into it. So he has more power, more control uh, over you know, who gets what and where to subsidize which projects. 
and so as a good government type journalist, I seized on TIFFs way back when, 20 years ago, started writing stories about them. And then I got into the inequities of the program, how they favored the wealthy over uh, the poor, even though they're supposed to help the poor. I talked about how it diverts money from the schools, even though our schools are constantly short of money, uh, diverts money from parks and police, uh, all these things I talked about. And yet, because it's so complicated and because it's so convoluted and because it's hidden from so many of the residents, either because they don't pay property taxes, the renters, or because they don't even look at the bills uh, that they get, uh, and it's not even mentioned in the bills, people are ignorant about it. And reporters struggle with it because it's so complicated, it's so convoluted, convoluted. it's not part of the nor- the regular discourse. It's only a few outsiders like me and Tom Tresser who talk about it. They don't quite know how to deal with it. And so yesterday, the Cook County clerk had a press conference uh, where she revealed, Karen Yarbo, she revealed how much money the TIFs were gonna collect, how much money in property taxes the TIFs in Chicago were going to collect. $926 million, almost a billion dollars, $926 million in just one year in property taxes. That's how much uh, the TIF bank accounts will collect. And so regular ordinary reporters who don't cover it every day are not quite sure how to deal with this. So they'll say, well, critics say, you know, that'll be in the article. I'm like, oh, that's me and Tresser. Critics say the program's, uh, you know, a, a slush fund. Or they'll say this, and this is from the Tribune D, and I circled this one. This is, uh, this kind of just sort of sums it up about how this program, despite the fact that it generates $926 million in property taxes, that the mayor's pretty much free to control how this program remains in the shadows. Uh, Chicago's controversial special property taxing districts. So they don't even mention TIFs in the lead because it's sort of like the assumption is, I guess that people don't even know what they are. So Chicago's controversial special property taxing districts are expected to bring in a record 926 million this year, accounting for more than a third of the city's hall, according to a report issued Thursday. That enormous sum to be collected at a time of plummeting revenue for the city as it grapples with an economic downturn caused by the pandemic is sure to spur another debate about whether so-called tax increment financing districts are sucking money away from its needed, from its needed, where it's needed most. My part of the sentence that made me just laugh and shake my head, so-called tax increment financing districts. When you say something is so-called, you're suggesting that it doesn't earn the name that it's called. That's what it's called, tax increment finance districts. It's like saying the so-called Ben Jarofsky show will be back in a moment. It is the Ben Jarofsky show. Anyway, that's just like a minor thing, D. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I, Michael Girardi, this is what I'm getting at. I've been writing about this thing for 20 years. If I live long enough, God willing, I'll write about it for another 20 years. And it's called a so-called TIF program. No, it's the TIF program. You should know about it. You wouldn't say the so-called property tax. You would say the property tax. It's a very minor, minor point, D. But it's why, going back to what Michael Girardi was making fun of before, sometimes I just want to go, ah! All right, finishing this email here. And... (laughs) 
Okay, sent it. And you uh, thought you couldn't go five minutes. Oh, Lord, I just warm it up. Man. That was like eight Tom minutes, Tresser, man. Tom Tresser will be here at uh, about five o'clock. We'll be talking some more about him. Shout out to Michael Girardi again. He reminded all of us that it was Brianna on the live stream chat who said, yes, I believe uh, Ben Drofsky's tombstone, instead of RIP, will read TIF. <laughs> Yeah, man. And everybody go, so-called TIF. <laughs> it's the so-called TIF program. Like, was that alligator in the lagoon? The so-called alligator in the lagoon. Or was it in the lagoon? I'm not sure. Hold on. I know I got a credible source who uh, knows okay. something about this. Hold on a second. Let's ask him. Excuse me, random hipster. I've seen a whole lot of catfish, some turtles. Uh, no gators yet, though. Uh, okay. Uh, right. no why gators. are your eyes so red? We do have a, an update on uh, Pritzker going to jail gate, I guess we can call it. Hey, come on. Leave the governor's going to jail to Blago, for l love of God. All right. So, see here, this following comes from the Illinois Review and Capital Facts. Governor J.B. Pritzker was ordered to appear before a Clay uh, County judge next Friday at 1 p.m. to explain why he, quote, should not be held in indirect civil contempt. Failure to appear in court may result in warrant for arrest, the order says. State Representative Darren Bailey Adazinia complained to the Clay County judge that Governor Pritzker is ignoring the court's previous order and is exercising emergency powers concerning the COVID crisis extending beyond state laws, 30 day provision for such powers. So uh, more updates. Wow, on. man, that's a showdown. They're going to put a warrant out for his arrest. Good God. That, now we're heading into Trump country. He's going to have to file a lawsuit. It's going to end up in the Supreme Court. Which way will Kavanaugh go on this one? I guess it's the state Supreme Court. But uh, wow, warrant. That's no joke, D. Man, hey, JB, whatever you're doing, stay out of Clay County, all right? They'll throw you in jail so fast. Ah! Oh, and uh, if you want to get a good look at, uh, if you haven't seen what Darren Bailey looks like, Capital Facts uh, has a nice little uh, picture posted of him there. Big is fella. Is he wearing a, wearing a mask oh, in the picture? hell no. <laughs> DB doesn't work. Actually, remember he put the mask on eventually? Uh -huh. Remember this one? This this gets to the heart of it. Uh, when when uh, Madigan convened the General Assembly, uh, the House of Representatives, in fact, I think it was in May. I can't remember. I've lost track of time. June, I don't know. Uh, Darren Bailey refused to wear a mask, so the Dems voted to uh, kick him out of the hall. Get out of here if you're not going to wear a mask. I think, proved his point. I think Durkin was like, hey, listen, dude, I'll buy uh, some bacon from one of those damn hogs you talk about all the time. Just put the mask on, please. Oh, all right. Uh, yeah, Jim Durkin, the, uh, the Republican leader in the uh, House. Uh, but he did return the next day. Whether it was Durkin's convincing or not, I don't know what it was, but he was wearing a mask the next day. He said he proved his point. Frank, on the, Frank on the live stream chat says Governor Pritzker should go straight to the Illinois Supreme Court. Yeah. Do not pass go. Uh, and uh, yeah, they let's let's deal with this one right now. You don't want to be the governor of the of the state of Illinois and have some outstanding warrant you know, for your arrest. Good God. You don't know when some trooper is going to try to haul you in the jail. So and he says yep. this judge is clearly a right wing hack. Who said that? Frank, Frank. or J.B. Pritzker? Frank. OK, yeah. Well, I mean, J.B. probably said it off mic, but yeah, off mic, not on mic. All right, guys, that's the, local, that's the local news. Feel free to reach out to us uh, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, we had a, a, a feller, or maybe a, a lady, I don't know, uh, contact us on Twitter. 
uh, doing a little trolling and shout out to our dear friend Pat Whalen. This guy is a master when it comes to social media. All right. Uh, this guy went by the name No Name Bot. All right. And I guess uh, David Ferris uh, posted uh, something about his interview with us on the Ben Jarofsky show. And uh, he put uh, David Ferris put thrilled as always to talk politics with Ben Jarofsky on the Benny J show. We talked about the kids are all left Biden's VP pick and how close Trump would get the ball to home plate. If he tried to do the first pitch, check it out podcast and yada, yada. He sent a bunch of links. Uh, this no name bot put waste of perfectly good, meaningless, hot air. I'm being kind. And then uh, <laughs> David Ferris went on to put, I'm absolutely crushed to receive this feedback from an account with zero followers that follows zero people pat whalen who acts like ben jarofsky on twitter let's be honest <laughs> sorry dude we just got to be honest uh he pat whalen put slow down dave still working on how hot air can be both good and meaningless <laughs> uh, good and mean yeah i uh I guess not everybody's going to appreciate what you do. By the way, David Ferris, outstanding guest. We've got to bring him back. Probably wait till uh, Joe Biden announces who his uh, running mate will be. We'll be talking about that with Ramana Hussein coming up, who Joe Biden is going to take as his running mate. A couple articles in the Sun Times on the subject today, or essays, I should say, uh, both written by Republicans. Interesting. Uh, the Sun Times turned to two Republicans uh, to opine about, as to who. <laughs> As to who uh, Joe Biden uh, should take, it's I'll tell you what, Democrats are so open. I can't think of any, any Republican outlet that would turn to two Democrats to ask them who, let's say, Donald Trump should pick uh, as his running maker, who Eddie, Mitt Romney should take in 2012. But. Right. Democrats are very open-minded. So go check out that back and forth there on Twitter, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. Uh, you can send us an email, Show at gmail.com. And uh, like you heard earlier, you can leave us a voicemail like Michael Girardi. One hell of a voicemail, by the way, Mike. Uh, seven, parody. 708-658-4788. 708-658-4788. Give us a call. Leave us a voicemail. And who knows, we may play your voicemail on the program we're going to take a quick break here and when we come back it's another ramana rundown with sun times editor ramana hussein don't go anywhere it's the ben jarofsky show we are live from my apartment very hot in this apartment and i i think the guys are done doing construction outside so that's good and ben's attic
the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicago. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Benny J, take it away. Every Friday, Ramana Hussain from the Chicago Sun-Times joins us, editor, columnist. Uh, used to be, she just walked down the hall to our lovely little studio in the Sun-Times building, but of course, it's been now four or five months uh, in our separate apartments, our, our separate homes. Uh, Ramana, welcome back to the show. Hi, how are you guys? Doing well and uh, doing very well, uh, despite it all. I was uh, I just finished a riff uh, of monumental proportion. I'm just calming down on tiffs. This is not a subject I want to talk about with you. Usually I talk to uh, Romana's husband, Mick Dumkey, for like hours on tiffs. Uh, but uh, I am not going to discuss that with you, Romana. I'm going to calm down and turn my attention attention to other matters uh, and leave the TIF discussion uh, to the side. I want to talk national politics with you today. I told you this already, Romana. Um, just really struggling with this, and, and, and uh, I could use some assistance from you. 
Uh, I, as I've said many times, did was did not vote for Joe Biden. He wasn't my first choice. I had a lot of issues with him. After it was clear he got the nomination, I really struggled with it. I wrote several columns about it. Uh, he wasn't forceful enough. Uh, he didn't seem to have a vision where he was going to take the country, not one I even wanted. And when I looked at some of the centrist things he was saying about health care, I, I was uncomfortable with it. Uh, it seemed like it was that old saying, moderate centrist stuff. Uh, and then I came to the conclusion that it would be probably advantageous to the Democrats if he just stayed in his basement and didn't say anything. And so in a bizarre way, he was the strongest candidate uh, that Democrats had. This let Trump self-destruct. And then in this last couple of weeks, he's emerged a couple of times, said some absolutely whacked out things. Uh, and it just gets it going again. So what's, where do you stand on all of this, Ramana, when you think about Joe Biden as a candidate? Well, I personally can't say what I feel, obviously, as as or I can't really talk about who I voted for. But I can do I can tell you that um, I do have a lot of friends who Joe Biden wasn't the first choice. Um, <laughs> so you can see where I'm going here. I mean, I don't think anybody thinks that he's not qualified. I think there's a lot of questions as to whether, like you mentioned, is he forceful enough? And I know you said that um, him staying quiet in his, you know, quote unquote basement. I mean, that's what everybody's saying. He's in his basement. And honestly, like given his age, I don't blame him from kind of staying away from the spotlight. But I also think that being quiet isn't necessarily the answer right now. Um, I'm not saying he has to talk every day, but I think one thing that I think you know, this pandemic has made us realize is that we do rely on technology and technology can be used to communicate what you feel. So it's not like he can't get his message out there. And I think a lot of people feel like, um, you know, he's definitely a choice that a lot of people think is better than Trump. But the candidate shouldn't be just someone vote for me because I'm not Trump. That's the way I think a lot of people, are, you know, are seeing it as Ed. like he's he feels like because Trump can keep making, you know, these crazy comments and keep tweeting and he can just stay quiet as long as he's the anti-Trump or not Trump. I don't think that's enough. I think a lot of people I think he needs to be speaking out more, um, more. I think that I think that would help his cause. I don't know when he does open his mouth. He does seem to make a few mistakes. Um, so then I don't know. I, maybe his camp is thinking, you know, maybe the more quiet he is, the better it is. Or he won't put his foot in his mouth as he did this week. Well, I, I'll tell you this. Uh, you've made that point many times. It has to be more uh, in your opinion than I'm not Trump. But I'm absolutely convinced that's all it takes. And that I, I believe that the Democrat, the people who chose Joe Biden chose them because he's not Trump. So even when he puts his foot in his mouth, he does it in a different way than when Trump says something really uh, insulting and offensive. So I don't I just think that's probably Joe Biden's strongest point. Go ahead. I, I that that probably is strategy that they're working on. But, you know, a lot of people said, oh, Joe Biden is a safe choice. You know, he's he's the one that could get 
all the people who are on the fence or all the people who voted for Trump the first time because he's kind of seen as this quote, quote unquote, safe candidate. And I don't know. I think for a lot of people, especially people of color, I don't I don't think that's enough. I, I, I think that, you know, they want someone to vocally say that, no, this is wrong. And not to say that Joe Biden hasn't done any of that stuff. He has. But I just don't think it's done. In, and, and I guess, you know, people say that you have to be careful because you don't want to, you know, the people who are kind of iffy, you have to, you know, appease them, too. And you can't sound too, too crass or too angry. But I don't know. I think this is this 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 is a point in um, American history or, you know, our elections where I think you kind of have to be loud and be vocal. And as we're seeing with um, these the plane coming by with the um, you know, with these protests in the wake of George Floyd's um, death, you know, he was killed at the hands of a police officer is that, you know, you can't stay quiet and staying quiet isn't necessarily always the right choice you have to speak out and you know maybe there's a discussion about how he needs to speak out but i think there i think more needs to be said that's that's from my point of view but i, I know right. what you're saying his i'm sure his camp is thinking like he can just stay quiet donald trump can do his thing and that will be enough for everyone all right let's uh take a listen to what uh joe biden says when he isn't quiet when he isn't hiding out in his basement uh d why don't you uh uh, Romana here, uh, Joe Biden's thoughts on uh, blacks versus Hispanics. What you all know, but most people don't know, unlike the African-American community, with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community with incredibly different attitudes about different things. You go to Florida, you find a very different attitude about immigration in certain places than you do in your, when you're in Arizona. So it's a very different a very diverse community. Uh, unlike the African-American community, I don't know. That's what I'm saying, Ramon. I don't know what he's know, thinking. Know, Go ahead. And I agree. And, th- and that's what I think a lot of people have issues with is like they just think that just because someone's not Trump, that they're like perfect or it, it shouldn't be. I don't know. I think at this day and age, you shouldn't be those comments. I I just don't understand where that that's coming from. And I think that was a discussion with the National Association of Hispanic Journalists and NABJ, which is the National Association of Black Journalists. So it was a discussion that he had with, um, I think, reporters from both of those um, journalism groups. I just don't. I mean, I know, I, I guess he's saying, you know, is he saying political? Like, because he said he said there's like certain what, what was the word he used? He said that there's certain, um, he's, he, I, it seems like he's saying, like when you listen to the quote, it seems like he's talking about a diversity in thought. That's what I yes. take it as. Mm-hmm. And I know he has since issued apologies saying that that's not what I meant. I meant to say that, you know, there's all these Latinos from different parts of the world. And so they have different experiences. And, but I think a lot of African-Americans will tell you that they they all have different experiences too. There might be certain things that, you know, African-Americans, and I don't want to speak on behalf of African-Americans, you know, but there might be some experiences that they are shared, like, you know, the police being, um, you know, they probably had many run-ins with the police that weren't very favorable. Those are shared experiences. But to say that, you know, a lot of black people do, I mean, from what I hear and what I read and what, from talking to African-American friends is they're not a monolith just like any other group. Yeah. So I, I, I can see why a lot of people would get offended by that comment. 
Yeah, I, I what I don't understand is why he felt compelled to raise the subject of African-Americans uh, in the middle of Latinos. A, yeah. Yeah, I think. And, and that's one of the problems I think a lot of um, people of color have with um you know, white politicians or just white people in general sometimes is when when you're talking about one group of people, one group of like, you know, people of color, you have to compare them to another people of color. And that is what happened with Asian-Americans and being described as a minority. It's just pitting against, you know, minority groups. And I'm sure Joe Biden, you know, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. He's not trying to pit the two groups, but it when he makes comments like that, it does inherently cause some sort of like, you know, friction or he's, mm-hmm. you know, it's just basically saying, well, they're not like that. They're not like those people. That's what it makes it sound like. So, yeah, I think when I think you, he could have talked about Latinos without mentioning African-Americans. It's kind of like when we we're talking about Bill Clinton last week and how he mentioned uh, Mr. Carmichael <laughs> at John Lewis's uh, funeral, like why bring him up even like why do you have to bring that name up just talk about john lewis well uh, we'll come back to uh, bill clinton uh, i that's one of my uh obsessions of of the moment bill clinton uh and it's time for the democrats to cut the cord on him but uh, he brought up stokely carmichael for a very specific reason uh, he's still fighting these age-old fights from the 70s and 80s with the lefties of the world. Uh, and um, it's almost like he's still running for office and wants to win over swing voters. But, yeah, I'm, I thought that was such a gratuitous attack on Stokely Carmichael. And that triggered a response in me that I'm still it still reverberates uh, of disdain for Bill Clinton. All right. Uh, we've heard Joe Biden uh, his stumbling on this issue. Uh, Dennis, play uh, Donald Trump on John Lewis. He didn't come to my inauguration. He didn't come to my State of the Union speeches. And that's okay. That's his right. Again, nobody has done more for black Americans than I have. I understand. He should have come. I think he made a big mistake. But but taking your relationship with him out of it, do you find his story impressive, what he's done for this country? He was a person that devoted a lot of energy and a lot of heart to civil rights but there were many others also. Nobody has done more for black Americans than I have, Donald Trump. All right, Mana, uh, we just we heard <laughs> Joe Biden. Now we heard Donald Trump. Your thoughts? Um, I, I mean, I would think that most, um, I guess this is one thing most African Americans would agree with and would not have, would be, would be pretty much di- not diverse in, in thought is that that is a very erroneous statement. Um, you know, maybe Ben Carson agrees with him, but I, I it, that's just that's just insane. I, I guess the, the differences with uh, Trump is he's actually centering himself in the African-American struggle. And Joe Biden's just talking about two different groups. I mean, they're both definitely mis um, things shouldn't be said, <laughs> um, but there, I think there's a difference. I think Joe Biden. I don't know. I think the difference is that Donald Trump is always making it about himself and really does not know what it's like to be a person of color. I think Joe Biden, on the other hand, probably tries, but he's just a clueless boomer. <laughs> clueless, I guess you could say, 
He's not even a boomer. You can't blame us. He's five years older than me. I mean, five years older than the boomer. Uh, yeah, he's whatever the ones came before boomers. That's what he is. Oh, I thought he was a boomer. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I don't know. I just think people think of him as just someone who's kind of out of touch mm-hmm. um, in terms of, you know, the discussions that we're having on, you know, race relations. And, you know, I kind of wonder, like, does he, I mean, he does have a lot of younger people working for him. And you wonder if they tell him, you know, and he obviously has had a talking down to at least Joe Biden put out. I guess the difference is Joe Biden put out an apology. Donald Trump does still I think Donald Trump does believe that he does has done a lot for African-Americans in his mind. So he's not going to put out an apology you know, criticizing John Lewis for not coming, showing up to his inauguration, being all offended and acting like John Lewis really was just one, you know, he, he like is not giving him the credit. He's not giving John Lewis credit. Instead of giving John Lewis credit for all the things that he does, he puts it on himself to talk about all the things that he's done for black people. And it's just, um, it's insulting. Yeah, no, uh, John Lewis's entire existence as an activist, as a politician, uh, as a man in the, uh, who lived for 80 years, his entire existence in Donald Trump's mind boils down to whether he showed up for Donald Trump's inauguration or not. That's that's yeah. you know, that's Donald Trump's view of the world. And uh, yeah, and listen, that's why I say that I stand by it. At this stage, the Democrat really the just isn't Donald Trump. That's the issue. And so you're right. Joe Biden says something ridiculous. Immediately when he's done saying it, his handlers come up to him and say, what did you just say? You said something ridiculous. He comes out with a statement uh, where he you know, apologizes or clarifies. Donald Trump says something ridiculous, gets everybody upset. Uh, his handlers come out with a statement explaining why Donald Trump was correct and why everybody got it wrong. And uh, so they're like even more of enablers than Joe Biden's handlers are, if you see the distinction. Exactly. And, you know, and nobody's, you know, nobody's perfect. I think that's one of the things. And, you know, as we're all learning, I think a lot of people, have to, you know, aren't always 100%, especially, you know, people who are non-black, um, people of color, you know, the white community. It's like we don't understand everything that, you know, African-Americans are, have gone through completely. We have to listen. So at least Joe Biden seems like he's trying to listen. I think that's the difference. And he's trying to listen and he's owning up to his mistakes. So, you know, it does take a, a, a bigger person to admit that they made a mistake. So at least he, he has that. It's just that I don't, the one thing is I, I don't think Joe Biden's done making those kind of comments or just making, you know, certain kind of comments that might get him into hot water. Oh, no. And by, and by the way, there's three debates. Lord knows what's going to come out of Joe Biden, Biden's mouth in those debates. Uh, and, <laughs> but you know what? I don't even think it'll matter. It's, he's not Donald Trump is really uh, all that matters in terms of his campaign. All right, let's go to uh, switch gears uh, to Kanye. You had something very interesting to say. We were talking about this before the show. Uh, I was pointing out, I have been pointing out uh, that Republicans uh, have been leading the effort to get Kanye West on the ballot uh, in crucial states like Wisconsin. It's Republican operatives who are collecting the signatures. It's Republican operatives who are turning them in. It's Republican operatives who are going to fend off the challenges to Kanye West. And the Republicans have made it clear in their mind, Kanye West can be uh, 
a contributing factor to reelecting Donald Trump by siphoning off votes from Joe Biden. Just enough votes in a state like Wisconsin or, uh, you know, maybe Pennsylvania or what have you to give Trump the state and then that electoral uh, total to add to his electoral total. Uh, So he's a pivotal player, Kanye West, even though it seems like he's borderline losing his mind uh, to reelect Donald Trump. You had an interesting observation about this. Go into it. Though. Yeah, and I'm not giving I'm not giving myself credit. I'm just talking about what I've read on the internet. But you know, yeah, a lot of people are saying that you know a lot of African Americans, um, a lot of the chatter that I'm seeing on the internet is that the only people who are worried about uh, Kanye was taking black votes are white people, um, and the stories that are written about this you know possibility happen happening is by white people. I. I personally don't feel like there's going to be troves of African-Americans voting for Kanye West. Will any African-American vote for Kanye West? I can't say that. I mean, there could be people from all various different groups. If I was a betting person, I would say that he's not going to um, affect the um, votes going towards Joe Biden. Although he says that that's what he's trying to do. I think that was the latest. There was a Forbes magazine article a couple of days ago, I think was also written by... I think it was a um, white reporter about how Kanye West is is saying that, yeah, that's obviously his intention, you know, to take away the vote from Biden. But I you know what? I didn't want to make predictions because I thought Donald Trump wouldn't win either. But I just don't think that there's like troves of African-Americans just from, you know, just from anecdotally. Nobody thinks that Kanye West is going to be fit for presidency. I think Chance the Rapper two weeks ago tweeted something about how uh, his friend Kanye is, you know, just as qualified as Joe Biden or something about, you know, endorsing him and, and, and everybody just went after Chance the Rapper and a large amount of these people who were speaking out against Chance the Rapper's endorsement of Kanye were African, young African-Americans. Yeah, I, I actually think that um, if Kanye West is on the ballot uh, in Wisconsin, he may end up being a, a, a source for people who just are just disenchanted in general. Yeah, yeah. you know, just saying, a protest yeah. vote, just a protest vote. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not saying people aren't going to do it because they're just, you know, there might be people who are just, you know, mad at joe biden and they kind of feel like you know why do i have to vote for that guy and this is a protest vote yeah i could definitely see people voting for him as a protest vote because they're just dissatisfied with both parties but do i think there's going to be like tons of people voting for kanye west i don't know i i I didn't think tons of people are going to vote for donald trump either so i i'm not the political pundit (laughs) well we'll see you know we'll uh mistakes uh, in, in 2016, uh, Gary Johnson, who was running as a libertarian, was a very important uh, aide uh, to Donald Trump. Uh, he got the Tribune's endorsement and he picked up uh, enough votes in Michigan that helped Donald Trump, you could say, uh, defeat Hillary Clinton. So I'll be really curious to see if the Tribune endorses Kanye West, if they can't bring themselves to endorse uh, either candidate, Trump or Joe Biden, will they turn around and just repeat, yeah, we're going to go for the uh, third party candidate, the birthday party candidate, Kanye West. I do remember that. I do think if the Tribune endorses Kanye West, uh, they will be making headlines across the world. 
I could make an argument that Kanye West has more credibility uh, as a presidential candidate than Gary Johnson. I will not make that argument right now, but I could make that argument. Uh, so go ahead, Tribune, knock yourself out. That's uh, your you, next column, I think. Yeah. Kanye West. <laughs> no, I'm. Uh, yeah, I, I, I may get around to writing about Kanye West. I, I, I basically agree with you. I don't uh, think he's going to be uh, as destructive to Joe Biden uh, as many people. Uh, reporters are saying but everyone's so nervous right now yeah romana everybody's looking for that edge and obviously those republican strategists think he's in it to work to their advantage or they wouldn't be you know trying to get him on the ballot so that is true that's a good point you know uh, there's a reason they're uh right now in wisconsin trying to get him on the ballot all right uh today's sun times uh had two essays back to back on the op-ed section, one by uh, a woman who gets a lot of a lot of talk in our show, uh, Mona Sharon. I always butcher her name, and then you always correct me. Well, I, don't uh, know. I think it's Sharon. It could be wrong. Okay, and uh, Se Cup. Now, uh, I have a couple thoughts on this, and then I'll turn it over to you. One, they're weighing in on who Joe Biden should take, uh, and I've I've mentioned this in passing a little bit. Uh, both Mona Sharon and Se Cup are conservatives. Uh, and to their credit, they're basically Republicans, but to their credit, in my humble opinion, uh, they've been unafraid to criticize Donald Trump and divorce themselves from Donald Trump and say that uh, they cannot possibly support Donald Trump because he uh, is just such a obnoxious, ugly human being. So he's a contemptible human being and they will not endorse him. So I give Mona Sharin and Essie Cup a lot of credit uh, for doing that. That said... You know, here we are on the eve of Joe Biden's announcement as to who is vice presidential candidate. You have two Republican women weighing in on the Sun-Times, which is uh, my beloved bright one in a Democratic newspaper in a Democratic city. I don't know. Could you find a Democratic woman to weigh in? Didn't Kelly Cassidy have an opinion or something? I'm just saying, you know, would the Wall Street Journal do back-to-back essays as to... Uh, who uh, some Democrat wants Donald Trump to take as his nominee? That was my first reaction. Uh, but uh, anyway, what was your first reaction when you saw these essays? Well, well I read both of them um, after you pointed it out to me. Um, I, I, I think it's safe to say I'm not a longtime reader of either columnist. Um, you usually point me to, towards their direction to read their column. <laughs> um, but I thought I, I, I read both and, you know, I, I started off with S.E. Cup's, um, you know, column and it was like going fine. And then it just seemed to veer off in this direction where, I, you know, I don't know if I'm, you know, I vote for Joe Biden, but I really need to know who's vice president is. It's like everything hinges on that. And I thought that was a little weird. But and then Mona Sharon kind of went off on another tangent where she basically said that, you know, Joe Biden basically dug himself into a grave by saying that he's going to choose a female vice president. And then she goes on to say about uh, she mentions how like most there's a lot of false, you know, obviously Joe Biden, we think that he's leaning towards an African-American candidate. And she said that there's no African-Americans, female candidates in that group that are fit to be president. And then I kind of thought to myself, First of all, the guy in the White House is not fit to be president. So 
I mean, I think there are a lot of qualified African-American women that could be vice president. I thought that was a little weird. And then she kind of she talked about this once. Was it this one state rep who was um, had ties or was sympathetic to the Communist Party? No, yeah, she was talking about uh, Congresswoman Karen Bass, who yeah. had a dear friend who who was a communist, and when she eulogized, when Karen Bass eulogized her friend, she didn't mention uh, that he, her the friend, was a longtime member of the Communist Party. Which, yeah, I with you. What a stretch! I mean, I what, she's <laughs> well, go ahead. I mean, I mean, I don't know. I I don't like what people. She made it seem like you know. I don't know. Like I told, I've mentioned to this on the show before, but I have an uncle in India who's like a staunch communist and he's a very good person. So I grew up not really vilifying communists. So I, and I'm not saying that I necessarily agree with all the principles, but I don't think just because someone agrees is a, is a communist or a socialist is that they're automatically like an insane person or like a extremist. And that's what I think she kind of called, um, you know, the Communist Party. So I thought that was a little bizarre. And then she said that she'd feel better with uh, someone like Tammy Duckworth, which is fine. I'm not, you know, she has a right to say that. But I just thought it veered off on this, like, tangent where it was, she was basically saying that none of these African-American women that are on Joe Biden's shortlist are qualified. And I, I, I just think, just given that Donald Trump is president, it's just a bizarre thing to say. And, you know, like you said, give it, give her, give her an SE cup credit. They do, you know, speak out against Trump, but it's like, I, at this point, I'm more qualified than Donald Trump, I think. But I, I agree with that 100 percent. And so uh, to, to say that these women who, you know, have uh, Kamala Harris has been in office. Um, you know, I know Susan Rice, he's never held office. And, you know, that could be an argument as well. But Donald Trump never held an office either. You know, so it's it's like people thought Barack Obama, the same people who you know voted for Donald Trump and speak and praise him. You know, they had issues with. Barack Obama not being experienced enough. So it's 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 just I don't know. I, I just think that, you know, who he picks for vice president. Yes, it's important and everybody's going to keep an eye on it. But I don't know at this point. I don't know if it should make or break who you're going to vote for. Well, I'll, I'll read you the exact uh, sentence, couple sentences that Mona Sharin uh, wrote, uh, which My eyes went up when I uh, eyebrows went up when I read it. Quote, it's great to pick a woman for vice president, but less great if you first pledge to do so. The pledge telegraphs that you are not looking for the best person, but the best woman. And and that really rubbed me the wrong way. That gets into like the affirmative action argument. Exactly. you know, and I just, it's always just rubs me the wrong way. He was just saying, no, I, I feel it's time to show a commitment to women and I'm going to, you know, break through the glass ceiling and we're going to do it right. And although, uh, although we did have Geraldine Ferraro was, wasn't she the vice presidential candidate in the eighties? So he didn't, break, he, he didn't break the glass ceiling on that. And who I was remember- the other can you name for 10 trivia points, the other woman vice presidential candidate in your lifetime? Uh, I should know this. You I don't should. know. I'm like I'm. Dennis is so to... eager. He knows it. He can. T- <laughs> I'm drawing it. a blank. I know there's. I know there's one, and I'm just drawing a blank. I'll give you a hint. It was 12 years ago. Oh. God. How soon we forget? She's not a Democrat. Sarah Palin oh, was yeah. a vice presidential. <laughs> She's yeah. like, oh yeah, I got <laughs> that out of my mind. Uh, I'd like to forget that, but yeah. Uh, 
But yeah. yeah, oh yeah, and that's the thing. Yeah, we forget that there were female vice presidential candidates before that. So Joe Biden's not necessarily breaking the glass ceiling, but you know there there are there were so many you know as much as I know you don't like the Clintons or you don't like Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, I think it's it's safe to say, I think most people agree that she was more qualified Absolutely. than Bill Clinton. So, yeah, I just feel like, you know, women have hit that glass ceiling in a lot of regards. And for her to say, act like, oh, it's always like, like, I don't think necessarily cutting men out of the equation means that there's not qualified people in that group. It's, yeah. it, that's what it makes it seem like, well, he's like, she's, he, by just saying he was going to pick a vice um, a woman for vice president, he like killed all the good. Um, and, and this is the, the part. Of, this is the part of SE Cup to uh, underscore what you said that really lost me. SE Cup wrote this. Okay, one more time. SE Cup's a conservative columnist for the Sun Times. Uh, they got two conservative columnists back to back telling who they think Joe Biden should select, uh, which. <laughs> Says a lot about where we are as a country. All right, here we go. Uh, SE Cup writes this. After nearly four years of Trump's chaos, incompetence, corruption, narcissism, nepotism, racism, authoritarianism, and nihilism, I'm very seriously considering voting for Joe Biden rather than write someone in uh, as I did uh, in 2016. Very seriously, after talking about narcissism, nepotism, racism, authority, you're only very seriously? I mean, how could Joe Biden be any worse than racist, corrupt, narcissistic, authoritarian? I, know. No, it, 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 I think it's one of those things where it's like, God, it took you four years to realize that he was that Donald Trump doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, I just find it. I. I <laughs> I just well, people are always like, "Now I'm not going to vote for him." It's kind of yeah. like that. It was. It's kind of like this one column that our um, Washington D.C. columnist wrote, Lynn Sweet, about how this one guy didn't like the way Donald Trump was handling the coronavirus, and he was at the convention, you know, the Republican National Convention, and he's like, "This is why I'm not going to," you know. And I'm like, "That's what it took for you to realize that Donald Trump isn't necessarily uh, the best presidential candidate." I don't know. I thought it was kind of clear from day one, but I don't know. What do I know? I, guess I welcome that's one that. Thing I, I, I'm pretty open about. That I, I welcome that man's support. I read that column and I welcome that man's support. Uh, but I just had a laugh when I saw Essie Cup write that. And then she goes, "If she picks the wrong, if he picks the wrong vice presidential candidate, I still won't vote for." I'm like, who could he possibly pick that would get you to vote for the authoritarian, you know, racist? Know. You know what I'm saying? It's like I don't know who you're going to possibly who could be worse than an authoritarian racist. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, some Republicans are hard to convince. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's bizarre. I don't think anybody who was going to vote for Donald Trump said, well, I'm going to wait to see who he's going <laughs> to select for vice president before I vote for uh, Donald Trump. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, so you got a chance to read my uh, column on Bill Clinton, uh, where I said Democrats cut the court. The man is uh, it's just like a, it's an embarrassment to uh, our party and his embarrassment, I think, to the country, uh, his behavior, his connections to Jeffrey Epstein, uh, uh, coming right after the Monica Lewinsky affair that he had. He couldn't control himself uh, in the White House, put the country through hell with the impeachment, and then starts hanging around with Jeffrey Epstein. I'm, I'm like, Ramana, let's, 
time for him to just recede. And I, this is not about Hillary. It's about Bill Clinton. You know what I'm saying? It's, this is Bill's baggage. It's not Hillary Clinton's baggage. So that's my take. Do you think I was too hard on him? I I, I think you read good, uh, you raise good points. And this is something that we discussed last week, too, a little. It's the thing that I think people just find him really likable or his image. He kind of has this image where he's like a shucks kind of guy. And everybody's like, oh, he's so like he's so charismatic. And, you know, he's just Bubba. And that's the thing. It's like I think people just give him a pass. And you're kind of like, um the whistleblower on the Ellen show, I, I kind of feel like. Um, you've been, I don't know if you've been hearing about yes. all the talk about the Ellen show. Yeah. Like Ellen has, you know, Ellen DeGeneres has this reputation as being a nice person. I never watched the show. I figured she seemed like a really nice person. And, you know, I've always seen clips of her interviews and people are like, oh, she's so nice. And then after the George Floyd protests, everybody started talking about, you know, that she wasn't really a nice, but she's really not a nice person. And that, you know, the, the staff was treated, mistreated. So you're kind of like, I think you're like the whistleblower in that case who brought out the first story about, you know, the mistreatment of people on the show. So you're kind of bringing up the point that, you know, Bill Clinton isn't all what he is cracked up to be. Although with the case of Bill Clinton is we have all these, you know, allegations or we have all, you know, this new stories that have followed Bill Clinton all these years, but he's kind of been unscathed. He's been, you know, not to say that he's totally been, uns, you know, he went through the impeachment hearings, but he's still able to come up again. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I think I, I actually started thinking about this in 2016 when he gave the nom, uh, I don't think it was the nominating speech, but a speech on behalf of Hillary Clinton and it was extolling her virtues. Oh yeah. I remember that. Uh, and, um, and he had a complete, I kept thinking as he was giving the speech, he was talking about how he met her and fell in love with her and they were partners and uh, she was so important to him in the White House and all sorts of initiatives. I would go, okay, everybody knows what you put Hillary Clinton through with the Monica Lewinsky affair. Everybody knows what you put the country through with that. Everybody knows you played into the Republicans' hands with that. Please address that now, somehow or other, you know what I mean? Please deal with that. And Ramana, he didn't even talk about it. And that's when I, that's what I'm saying. You know what, this guy is too slick. And then of course, when Donald Trump got in trouble for the Hollywood access tape, what did Donald Trump do? To get out of that, he brought uh, a press conference uh, about six or seven women who had claimed that uh, Bill Clinton had sexually harassed them. And that just totally undercut the Democrats argument. So it's like it's been brewing in me for a while. Like it is time to cut the freaking court. And if I, I don't believe he'll. I mean, the Democrats are not meeting, convening in Milwaukee. I really don't know what their plans are for the convention, but I certainly hope it does not include a speech uh, from Bill Clinton. Oh, God, I'll be going nuts again, Ramana. Maybe they'll read your column and they Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be surprised if he's there. I mean, he's got to be there, right? He's Well, nobody, I don't know if anybody's going to be there uh, because no, yeah, guess, there is no there virtually, there. Yeah. Virtually. Virtually, yeah. So I would just hope they don't. You know, I'm, I'm a it's as time goes on, I'm far bigger fan of Jimmy Carter than Bill Clinton. Uh, and uh, of course, I think Jimmy Carter is ill, so he won't be giving a speech. All right. Before yeah. we let you go, Romana's recommendations. Uh, do you have anything uh, that you want to recommend to people? No, I, I'm kind of stuck this week. I was thinking about different things that I could recommend, but I I feel like I've kind of run out of movies and TV 
shows to watch, although I still have to watch Pose. So I am still keeping that in mind because I started a new book. Um, it's it's on Malcolm X. It's kind of a, a biography on him, and it's really thick. So I started that. But I do try to break up my reading with, like, senseless shows, and I'm trying to think of something to watch in between. Is it, so maybe I'll have is, to watch Pose. Is it the Manning Marable? Yes. Oh, yeah. That is, that'll keep you busy for a while. That is a uh, – that's a uh, an excellent book. That Manning Marable spent, I want to say, like 30 years. Yeah. Uh, and then he died right after the book. He completed it. Uh, it was kind of a tragic thing. Manning Marable, a great historian, and he it was his life's work to put together this uh, opus on Malcolm X, and he died right after it came yeah, out. So, I guess, yeah, I guess that's my recommendation because I started it, and it's, it's it was a New York Times bestseller, and it's it's called Mal- Malcolm X, A Life of Reinvention, and it's really good so far. But, I mean, it's very, like, dense. Like, you know, there's a lot, you know, it's like 500, 600 pages, but... I'm like, I'm only 30 pages into it, but it's really good. I mean, I wanted to read everything about it since I, you know, I read the preface and I'm, it's, it's very intriguing so far. All right. Very good. Ramana Hussein, get back to the reading and I uh, thank you for coming on the show. Appreciate uh, every Friday. Ramana Hussein, editor, columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times. Talk to you next week. Okay, Ramana. Okay. Take care, guys. That's Romano Hussein. D, I got any updates before we head out that door? Absolutely, I do. First off, I want to remind everybody one more time, download this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews. Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, new interviews for you to download, available at 5 a.m. at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. I'm talking to you, live streamers. Go download those. Uh, We have another update on uh, schools and their decision to keep or remove their police. Uh, I mean, they're going to be learning at home, but, you know, it's still something we need to talk about. Right, Ben? Absolutely. All right. Very important issue. Let's do this here. All right. So I'm going to name the school. Ben, you tell us a little bit about the school, as you always do. Pick whether they decided to remove or keep their police. All right. The following school is Hancock College Prep. Oh, Hancock College Prep on the southwest side of Chicago. Uh, And... uh, it's uh, one of those schools you have to take a test to get into. All right. Uh, would did they vote for? I would say they voted to um, keep the police. All right. The following comes from Block Club Chicago, by the way. And uh, and let's see here. In West Elson, uh, Hancock College Prep High School with a six to four, uh, four vote voted to. Remove their police no. officers. Remove the police officers. You know, I kind of make this. Okay. I, there's a pattern here. So it's Elson Southwest side, probably heavily Latino uh, population. D, we have noticed a trend. Have Benito Juarez voted to remove its police? Northside prep. It seems like the, it seems like there may be some correlation here uh, as I follow these trends. So six to four. That was, that's probably the closest vote that we've seen in any again one more time everybody you don't get anything from the board of ed if you remove your police you just get the police out of your building but you don't it's not like the board of ed says okay we're going to give you an allowance to compensate you know for the money you're not spending on police so it's just a decision strictly on whether you want that police presence in the building all right so there's that hey have you talked tiffs at all today by the way <laughs> 
Yeah, I have. I'm going to restrain myself. Got Tommy Tresser coming up in about an hour. Oh, and speaking of high schools, we have one more update. Uh, Lane Tech High School. Uh, earlier in the week, they voted to get rid of their mascot, the Lane Tech Indians. They're no longer the Lane Tech Indians, but they said today that they will not begin uh, the process to find a new mascot until the school year starts. Any ideas, possibly, of uh, what they could have as their new mascot? Mm, yeah, yeah, that's that. I'm going to leave that to the Lane Tech community. How about that, D? All right. I, I got one, the Lane Tech Lakers. Let's go for it. We're by the lake, right? Uh, not bad. It's uh, Western Avenue. So, you know, it's 24 blocks from the lake. Not bad. The land is a little alliteration. Yeah. Dang, this guy's good. Right, right. Lane Tech Lakers. Who's with I'm going to run it by one of my neighbors uh, teaches at Lane Tech. I'm going to run it by him. Ask him what he thinks. All right. And if they go with Lane Tech Lakers, we got to find a way to get me some money out of that. All right? Okay. <laughs> I'm with you on that, D. I'm hurting. All right. So that's our show. Uh, thanks again, everybody, for listening all this week. Download those Benny J bonus interviews. And uh, remember, not this coming up week, but the week after, we're going to be taking a little break again. Yes, yes, much deserved. I want to thank Ramana Hussain uh, for coming on as she does. And uh, remind everybody, we got Tommy Tresser coming up. We're going to be dropping him next week. And the Heartland Mamas, can't forget them. We're going to be interviewing them as well. We'll be dropping that next week. Uh, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as the Heartland Mamas will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. Have a good weekend, everyone. come to my inauguration. He didn't come to my State of the Union speeches. And that's okay. That's his right. Again, nobody has done more right. for but, but black to, Americans than I have. I understand. He should have come. But back, I think he made a big mistake. But, but, ta- but taking come. your relationship with him out of it, do you find his story impressive, what he's done for this country? He was a person that devoted a lot of energy and a lot of heart to civil rights, but there were many others also. Mr. Vice President, your opponent in this election, President Trump, has made your mental state a campaign topic. And when asked in June if you'd been tested um, for cognitive decline, you've responded that you're constantly tested in, in, in effect because you're in situations like this on the campaign trail. But please clarify specifically, have you taken a cognitive no, test? No, I haven't taken a test. Why the hell would I take a test? Come on, man. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.